What contributed to the stress I was under when I wrote SOS is that many friends and suitors had recently fell by the wayside. That is, until they saw me on television. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Aziza Kabibi, and this is Self-Published Episode 8. It doesn't matter how successful you are. No one reaches that success without the help of someone. I've been called an overachiever, hyperambitious, a know-it-all, a do-it-all. <laughs> Everything that you could label someone who has the passion and drive to achieve many goals and actually achieve them. This may all sound great, but the truth is, it's a lot of freaking pressure. When people know you through your successes and you have a reputation that you break through still walls to get shit done, it piles on a lot of stress. You find yourself in a spotlight that, while it brings attention to your successes, it can also expose your failures. So when you are struggling, you are afraid that asking for help may make you seem weak or incapable. I've struggled with this throughout my life And this blog post I'm going to share with you talks more about how difficult that struggle really can get. So enough with the intro. Thank you for allowing me to caress your eardrums and penetrate your mind with this blog post. December 28th, 2013. S.O.S. I'm not sure if I should be blogging while I'm in this state of mind, but fuck it. I'm going to anyway. I'm not usually one to pity myself. Shit happens, basically. I've had children looking up to me all my life. First, my siblings. They depended on me to entertain them for the hours our parents weren't home, to figure out what to eat when I wasn't old enough to use the stove, to keep them focused when we had to do our homework, and stop whichever baby from crying when our mother wasn't around to breastfeed. When I had my own children, I had to do some of the same things, but on top of that, be a better example of a mother than what my own was. And that included protecting my daughters from my father. My father favored my children, which also created animosity amongst everyone else. There were so many psychologically confusing dynamics in our family that it's made me somewhat of a pro at dealing with stress in my life today. In addition, I feel like I have to project a certain level of togetherness and strength to those around me. I can count the times on one hand that my children have seen me cry. 80% of the time that I'm sick, I still go to work and school. Depression is not an option. And if I feel a rut coming on, I get exercising or riding. You may ask, what is your point, Aziza? And my reply is, despite the fact that I am doing very well considering what my life has been, there are times that I do need help. But I have a serious problem asking for it. When my father came into my bedroom when I was nine, he'd tell me that telling my mother would make her go crazy and I'd never see her again. 
This was only one of the many lies he used to confuse his daughter to maintain control. After beating me because I tried to fight back when I was 12, he said that my compliance gave him the strength to take care of the family. (laughs) I became used to having a lot of responsibility with little assistance. There were decisions I had to make as a child that affected my entire family And I was led to believe that if I asked for help, the result would end in someone else's peril or sacrifice. These days, I don't want to put anyone out of their way or have them inconvenience themselves for me. It's natural for me to put the needs of others in front of my own, but I have to convince myself that I'm deserving of the same treatment, which is work in itself. So if I have a problem or a challenge, I pull up my bootstraps, buckle down, and handle my own fucking business. But just lately, I've been feeling overwhelmed. There aren't enough hours in the day, days in the weeks, weeks in the month, or months in the year for me to get all I have to do done. At the same time, if I have a day where there isn't as much to do or things can't get done because they are outside of my control... I feel useless and unproductive. What am I supposed to do with myself? And that question is not rhetorical either. If anyone reading this post has any suggestions, I implore you to let me know. And while I'm at it, if you know a literary agent, a publisher, an editor, how to write a grant proposal, a financial advisor, a lawyer, and have suggestions on dealing with a 14-year-old boy whose father is his grandfather who happens to be in jail for molesting, beating, and raping his mother, please tell me, because I need some help. Comments Unknown, January 7th, 2014, at 11.54 a.m. I have been abused by someone in my family and lived in what I call a verbally abusive household with my mother and father at each other's throats. I know that your life and my life are totally different in the circumstances, but when it comes to the emotional damages, it is the same. You feel the same way I did when I was letting go, and you are struggling the same way I did. I can see it in your eyes. My suggestion to feel better, cry. I know crying is a form of weakness, but in my eyes is a release of emotions. It helps me let go of what my body is going through. And I mean, I cry. Please, please don't ever deny yourself the feeling you're going through because if you do, it will only get worse. I promise you that. I have more advice, but not sure if you want it. If you do... Please email me. Stay as strong as you can. And if it becomes too much, ask for help. My reply, January 10th, 2014 at 2.45 a.m. Dear Unknown, thank you for your comment. My father taught me not to cry. He said it was a sign of self-pity, which he loathed. Now that I am away from him, I don't really cry out of habit, but I allow myself to feel all of my emotions. And yes, sometimes it does come out in the form of tears. I am not afraid of my emotions because though sometimes they can lead us astray, 
I believe God gave them to us to help navigate and enjoy this existence. Thank you for your input and suggestions. They are a huge help. Anonymous, January 8th, 2014 at 8.44 p.m. I just read of your story today on another media site. I had to Google your name. I wanted to hear your story. Funny, I never heard your voice. Today, I heard you loud and clear. I hear you, my sister. I hear you. I am a gang rape survivor and a fatherless daughter. And I ask myself all the time, why me? I was raped by two boys who I thought were my friends when I was 16 years old. Today, I'm 45 and I still ask why. Aziza, you have a purpose and it's bigger than yourself. I know how you feel in more ways than you know. My hand is genuinely extended to you whenever, if ever, I'm here. My reply, January 10th, 2014 at 2.53 a.m., Thank you, love. Cynthia Orlando, January 10th, 2014 at 6.39 a.m. Dear Aziza, I too was sexually abused by my father and most of my life I thought myself to be a victim of my circumstances and I told myself I was a survivor, but even this is not healing to me. I am more than a survivor. I am a child of God, and this entitles me to miracles. I have been going on a healing process most of my life, and I've come to the understanding that feeling like a victim only serves me to keep holding on to the suffering. I have learned through a course in miracles who I am, and this has empowered me to create the life that God has intended me to live. And I learned that my function is to forgive myself, the people that I perceived hurt me, and forgive the world I see. My pain is real and I honor it. However, my suffering is a choice and I finally understood that my power is in the choice I make for myself. I choose love. Here is a practice I do to help me let go of all the suffering and embrace my power. Hope it helps you. I do believe forgiveness is the key to peace of mind. I am on Facebook if you want to be friends with me. I would be honored. I extend my love to you because I know we are really one. Do the work. Complete each of the following statements with the first thought that comes to mind. Today, I am struggling to forgive myself for. Today, I am ready to forgive myself for. I realize if I do not forgive myself, I will continue to feel. I forgive myself for thinking. I forgive myself for believing. I forgive myself for feeling. Today, I am willing to forgive myself for. Affirmation. Today, I commit to walk the path of self-forgiveness in support of my healing, growth, and evolution. I send you love and light. Cynthia Orlando. Hey, you. Just a quick reminder, if you want to learn more about anything I share here, whether it be resources, inspiration, how prepare to testify in court, etc., please 
follow me on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Everything is Aziza Kabibi. And for even more resources on abuse prevention and recovery for yourself or someone you know, go to PreciousLittleLadies.org, where we strengthen the bond between mothers and daughters to combat child molestation, incestuous abuse, domestic violence, and sexual assault. And our motto remains, it's okay to tell, and you're not alone. Sidebar. I don't talk much about my personal relationships. Yes, I've written explicitly in my book about the indiscretions of my ex-husband and how that affected me as a young woman. Yes, I've been open candidly about how being a survivor impacts my interactions with other people. And yes, I even pointed out the potential suitors at the time in my life when I wrote the introduction to my book. But believe it or not, I'm actually a private person who keeps my romantic life to myself. That being said, what contributed to the stress I was under when I wrote the blog post SOS is that many suitors and friends recently fell by the wayside. That is, until they saw me on television. A couple of months prior, my car had been towed and I didn't have the $500 it would take to get it out of the impound. So I reached out to some of those who I'd been there for when they were in a bind and all of them either ignored my phone call or put me off. And it wasn't just interested parties. Family, same. So when those who are ignoring me suddenly became interested again after my television appearance, I was so taken aback by the change in behavior, I cut everyone off. And call me petty if you like, but I sent everyone messages that they had been dismissed. Writing advice. I think it's safe to say some of the greatest writers suffered from or was inspired by traumatic experiences that challenged their mental well-being. James Baldwin wrote the semi-autobiographical novel, Go Tell It on the Mountain, to share and cope with his experiences being a young black boy growing up in Jim Crow America. Maya Angelou's I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, was about her own experiences suffering sexual abuse. F. Scott Fitzgerald was an alcoholic who fell in love with a schizophrenic. Sidebar. I want to note that while it's been reported that Zelda Fitzgerald was diagnosed with an illness of the mind and committed to a mental institution, women were often diagnosed from a perspective of chauvinistic bias and indiscriminately labeled due to a lack of knowledge and a whole lot of presumption. So in my mentioning Mrs. Fitzgerald, I use her as an example of Mr. Fitzgerald's perspective of her since it was he who had her committed. My point is, great inspiration often comes out of suffering. Fantastic tales are often sourced from pain. 
the best stories are never remiss of tragedy. A lot of writers are basically a little crazy or trying to keep themselves from going crazy, myself included. I believe that at its essence, creativity is chaos. And as creators, we are maestros of that creative energy, converging, organizing, and translating it into something that can be understood by an audience. So is it a wonder that the ability to tap into that creativity requires a little bit of insanity? Nonetheless, finding a balance between the toiling of a creator, the alchemy of the created, the normal world, and the efficacy of maintaining the line that determines if the entire process enables or is a remedy for the insanity can take its toll. That's why I recommend allotting time on a daily basis to decompress, center oneself, and monitor your mental health. Along with some of the very insightful suggestions recommended by my readers of my blog post SOS, meditate. Not only will this help relax you and train your mind, you'll gain clarity and discover ideas for your work. If you're religious, I always say, if praying is talking to God, meditating is listening to God. Exercise. Exercising produces endorphins, the feel-good hormones. It also increases blood flow and facilitates detoxification. I love to box because it gets my adrenaline going, kicking other physical defense mechanisms into high gear. Clean your space. Monotonous housework like washing dishes, folding clothes, or sweeping the floor can have their own meditative effects. You tend to zone out and your mind relaxes. Often when I hit a roadblock in my projects because I'm just thinking about it too much, I clean the kitchen. Usually by the time I'm done, I've cleared all the counters right along with the mental roadblock as well. And the solutions just come to me without me even trying. Chant. The vibrations created from your own voice is very polarizing to disruptive energy. Pray. As I mentioned earlier that meditation was listening to God, praying is talking to God. Whatever your faith is, I'm sure you know the drill. Burn sage. Clearing the energy in your space is a good practice for anyone. Burning sage with intention helps to focus your mind and put your intentions into the universe while dispelling negative energy. <laughs> Watch a movie. I know it sounds extremely sophomoric after all of the profoundly esoteric advice I shared earlier, but come on. Another person's story is a great distraction from the complications of your own life. As long as you watch for entertainment and not to study character development and editing, as I often do. While writing Unashamed a Life Tainted, as therapeutic as releasing pent-up energy through crying was, if I didn't take breaks, I would have found myself drifting aimlessly towards an emotional event horizon. That's why when my daughter passed away, I had to set my work aside. Sure, my writing was helping with my trauma pertaining to my childhood, but losing my child who was a result of that childhood trauma only exasperated the pain. I instead started a blog about her, and it allowed me to compartmentalize aspects of my life by only focusing on my daughter and my experience with her, independent of the other traumatic events. Had I not stepped away from my memoir for a moment, 
it would have been even more difficult for me to heal after losing her. And my book would have been more sad than motivating. I'm well aware of deadlines, goals, and creative juices bubbling that you just have to let flow. But remember to take care of yourself. You are a powerful tool, a conduit of sorts. And conduits can't afford to crack, if you catch my drift. Hey you, thank you so much for listening and allowing me to caress your eardrums and penetrate your mind. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at aziza at azizakabibi.com. And if you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, do leave a review and I'll shout you out in a future episode. I can't believe there are only two more episodes in this season, y'all. Wow. I guess time does fly when you're having fun. I really enjoy producing this podcast in hopes that my listeners find inspiration, motivation, and learn something in the process. We are spiritual beings having a human experience, and I am honored that my experience can be useful to yours. Well, that's all for now. Until next time, be blessed, for you are a blessing. Better.